0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, we are going to look today and talk about the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We're going to do that in 1 Corinthians 15 and Matthew chapter 28. And so I'd like to talk about the most obvious thing that you should talk about on Easter morning. And that would, of course, be Tesla. Now, I, I'm not talking about the guy who wants to make flying cars that will automatically drive us to Mars. I'm talking about the Tesla, the guy. His name was Nikola Tesla. He was an inventor. I, I found out a couple of weeks ago that he made radio control boats before there were radio control boats, like 60 years before, all kinds of inventions, perhaps. The most mysterious and the most interesting is tesla's little black box tesla created a little black box that was all about resonant frequency everything shakes it has a a frequency at which it's vibrating and he thought if you could match the frequency you could grow the frequency kind of like a kid on a swing when they get on the swing they start moving back and forth and if they bend their feet back when they're going back just right and press their body straight when they're going forward, they go faster and higher and further. Well, he said, if I could find something that would correctly resonate with the objects it attaches to, I could shake up the world, and so he tried it. One night, he attached his little black box to a high-rise under construction in New York City And the building began to shake. It began to resonate, if you will, in such a way that the building was shaking and he thought it was going to fall down. You can imagine bolts coming loose and it seemed like the beams were going to come down. So he cut it off and the next morning he proclaimed, I've created something that can shake up the entire world. Well, his black box disappeared like a mystery, but I want to talk to you this morning about another black box that hasn't gone away. It's a little empty black box that's a tomb in the Middle East where Jesus Christ was laid, but he didn't stay there. He's risen from the dead. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we talk about that, we've got to acknowledge the question that that Paul mentions to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 35. And the question is this, how are the dead raised? That's the question, right? How are the dead raised? And it's an important question for us for a couple of reasons. One, because if if we're honest, maybe you wouldn't, but most of us would really like a new body. I would like a new body because my knee is messed up. This kid that my daughter's gonna marry, his, his shoulder's messed up. If you put us together, depending on how you look at it, we both have a really good body together or a really bad one, right? We spend billions of dollars a year in culture trying to get a new body, and the reality is we are all going to die. And we've been reminded of death so much in the last year. In 2020, I did more funerals than I normally do and more than I would have expected to do. For the last several years, it's been on our mind, and so as a people who have death before us always, We want to ask the question, how are the dead raised? Is it possible? But we also need to understand that one of the chief objections to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, of course, these people believed in resurrection. Everybody in the first century believed in resurrection, but but they didn't. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? In fact, most people didn't believe in resurrection. A lot of people believed in ghosts. There was a small group that believed in resurrection and frankly, a lot of them rejected Jesus as risen Lord because they said, no, the dead will be raised at the end of time, not right in the middle of culture. But what we're going to do today is look at an eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's from a book called Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was someone who was hated in society about as much as we Um, have hatred or dislike toward the people who take our tax money right but his life was transformed it was changed he became a follower of Jesus Christ and so his book one of the four gospels good news stories tells the story of the life of Jesus Christ And the last chapter of his book tells of Christ's resurrection Jesus has been crucified And so Matthew chapter 28 tells what happened next. And what I'd like us to do is see what can we observe from this text? What does this very ancient text tell us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What has resulted from this text? And then what do we do next because of this text? So let's read the text and see what we can observe. Jesus has been crucified He's buried. Saturday is past. It's Sunday morning now. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, then came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing. As white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled. They became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, see, Jesus had told his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders. I will be crucified, and I'll raise from the dead. Well, they didn't believe that would happen because they thought surely the Messiah, the king, would never be crucified, but it had happened. He is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid and go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Well, God, we thank you for this account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for what it tells us, God. We pray that as we look at it, we would just follow the clues and see where it takes us that we would see what's resulted from it and that we would be able to answer the question, what should we do in light of the resurrection? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just make some observations from this text and the first one we need to make is in verse one of Matthew 28. It says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now this is a really, really big deal because the eyewitnesses are women. And it's a shame to say this, but it's true. In the first century, the testimony of women would have been considered worthless. Now that's awful, but it's true. So if you wanted to devise a tale about a Messiah who rose from the dead, You would write the tale and your witnesses would have been religious leaders or men. And there are some men in the story who did see, but they're not first. You wouldn't have included women and certainly not these women. This Mary Magdalene, she had lived an awful life, a horrible life. She had been tormented by her afflictions and by her sin. And Jesus saved her and Jesus changed her, but everybody knew who she was. And these women are the first eyewitnesses. Not just in Matthew's story, but there are three other guys who tell the story. Their names were Mark and Luke and John. And in all of them, the first eyewitnesses are women. So if they were making up this story, they would have made it up very different than they did. The credibility grows by the fact that these ladies are, in fact, the first eyewitnesses they're the first eyewitnesses the second thing that we see after it's attested to by ladies is that there's this angelic appearance and the angel comes his appearance was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow and over and over in the scripture when there's a really important announcement often god will send an angel to share the news when the children of israel are about to go into the promised land the angel of the lord comes to joshua When Jesus is born, he's going to be born of a virgin. His mother, Mary, doesn't understand how it can be as an angel explains that to her. And then to the guy she's engaged or betrothed to, as the Bible says, his name was Joseph. An angel comes and says, this is Christ. This is the Messiah. And it says, Mary treasures these things in her heart. Well, so when Jesus raises from the dead, God sends an angel. He sends an angel and it says for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, "Do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Do not be afraid. They are scared to death. Can you imagine what this would have been like? It's in the haze right before dawn when darkness is turning to light. When I, when I think about this, I think about my days in East Texas as a, a teenager hunting with my uncle. He would go and get me to a deer stand. I would get there and it was still dark and I would begin to hear things walking around. And then at first light, before you could really see what was going on, I would begin to see these moving shadows below me and I would think this is going to be the day. That's a massive deer. I can see the shadow. It's just what I think it is. And then enough light would pick up and there'd be a cute little rabbit. (laughs) Can you imagine? Their best friend, their rabbi, their teacher, the one that they thought was going to be the king that would free them from Rome. Just days before, they've seen him brutally beaten, whipped hanging on a cross between two criminals. They watched the spear stick into his side and blood and water flows as he cries out, it is finished and he dies. And then he's buried and an 8,000 pound boulder is put in front of his tomb and then it's sealed up. And a guard of Roman soldiers is there. Now the guard of Roman soldiers would've been eight men and they would've been eight men who were to guard this tomb And if they failed, it would have been punishable by death, which was really common in the Roman Empire. If soldiers failed at their mission, they could be killed. In fact, when a large group of soldiers would go out for Rome, if they failed at the mission for which they were sent, one in every 10 soldiers, when they came back, would be killed just as a lesson, you don't fail at your mission. So they're told to guard this tomb. But the angel comes and they can't stop the angel they can't stop what the spirit of god is doing in raising jesus from the dead and some of the guard we're told a little bit later in the chapter they went into the city and they told the jewish rulers what happened they told them what they had saw they couldn't believe it they didn't know what to do and the jewish rulers said well we'll give you some money and when you talk to the governor, you tell him his, his disciples came and they took the body away. You tell him that these two little ladies took this 8,000-pound rock and, and they rolled it away. They, they rolled it away. And so they did that, and that's a story that remained with the Jews, with most of them, but, but not with all of them. But the angel explains what's happened in verse six. He says, he is not here. He is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Come look where he was laying. And they walked in and they looked with their own eyes and there's no body there, which is a really, really big deal. See, because there are all kinds of shrines to biblical heroes that you can go to and you can see where they're buried. Their bodies are there. Mordecai and Esther, Joshua, over a hundred biblical figures. You can go to the Middle East and you can go into Southern Europe and you can see where these people are buried. But the tomb is empty. There's not a body. There's never been a body. In Jewish custom, what they would do is they would anoint the body and prepare it for burial. And then they would come back six months later after a body had decomposed and they would put the bones in a neat place. That's what they did with other Jewish leaders. There was a guy named Simon Bar Gloria. You can look it up. In in AD 70, he was leading a revolt against Rome. The Romans came into Jerusalem. They tore up the temple. They took thousands of leaders back to, or thousands of Jews back to Rome. They took this leader, Simon Bargloria, and they killed him. And none of his followers said he rose from the dead. It was just next guy up. See, what you would think would have happened in the first century when Jesus died is that his brother James would have become the leader of the movement. He would have been called the Messiah or the king. But that's actually not what happened because there is no body because he is risen from the dead he says come and see the place where he lay and so the ladies leave and they're overwhelmed by fear and by joy they go and they run They're afraid because they've just seen an angel. The earth is just shaking in front of them. All these things that they hoped for and wondered. But then they're also overwhelmed with joy. See, their hopes have been crushed. Can you imagine the trauma of seeing your friend killed so brutally? And all of a sudden, all that pain, all that sadness all that fear is just flipped on its head because the tomb is empty. And so they run to tell the disciples with fear and with great joy. And as they're running, they see Jesus. Behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they knew it was him. They came up to him and they grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. They grabbed his feet. See, another gospel writer a, a week later the disciples see Jesus and, and one of them doubts. And he says, I, I won't believe before he sees him. I won't believe unless I see the, the holes in his hands and the hole in his side and there Jesus appears and there's the holes in his wrist and his side and his ankles. They grab his feet and they worship him and then he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, there's, there's no reason to anymore. See, the greatest thing we all fear is death. And when Jesus rose from the dead, death died for all who believe. And he says, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And then he says this, all of his disciples had abandoned him, but he died and rose from the dead to forgive the sins of all who trust in him. So he says, go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. He calls them his brothers. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they're going to see me there. He's inviting them into his family as the son of God. And here's the really good news we're gonna get to today. He didn't just invite them. He invites you and me, all of us who will trust in him to be part of his family. God would adopt us into his family. Tell them to go to Galilee and they will see me there. So, what happened next is really just amazing because these fearful disciples become bold emissaries. You have corroborating accounts that say that they saw the risen Christ in many cities, in many regions, over many days. You have persecutors of the church, Jewish leaders who are converting. They're trusting in the risen Christ and they begin to follow him. What do we do with this? I mean, we we really tend to hate things that we can't explain, right? We say that we hate things that we can't explain, but, but there are some things that we can't explain that we really love that we're glad for, right? Like we can't explain the mechanics of the beginning of the cosmos, but we love that it happened. I think we love that it happened. Without the beginning of the cosmos, we're not here, right? So we love that, though we can't explain it. We can't explain the love between a man and a woman. The twinkle that happens in their eye and the sacrifice that they make for one another is they love one another through a lifetime. We can't explain the sacrificial love that friends offer one another, even sometimes giving their own lives for their friends. And while we can't explain it, we believe that those things happen because we've seen the evidence of it. And while we can't explain bodily resurrection, there's just a whole lot of evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So I want to talk about four evidences of resurrection from this text that flow from this text. And then what do we do? And the first evidence is this that we've talked about. It's just that there's an empty tomb. There's an empty tomb. There's no body. They didn't go back. There's no body. It's just a little black box that is shaking the world. It's shaking cultures throughout history it's shaken people's lives it's turned them upside down for the better there's the empty tomb all anybody would ever have to do is produce a body and the scripture would say that our preaching is useless and so is your faith but there's an empty tomb then there's the eyewitness account there's the account of these ladies or in other gospels Jesus friends Peter and John or as Pastor Dave walked us through two weeks ago that Jesus appeared to James and then he appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to 500 people at one time and they all attested that the risen Christ was there. They didn't recant, they didn't turn over their testimony. Then he appeared to the Apostle Paul. These eyewitness accounts are are believable. They're incredible, but they're not unbelievable. We really value eyewitness testimony. See, there are people in the world that believe the Holocaust didn't happen, but we've got some eyewitness accounts of that, and we believe that it happened. There are people in the world that believe we didn't actually land on the moon. If you're one of those people, don't come tell me, okay? Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong would beg to differ. John Glenn, as he circled earth, he's got a a better than a bird's eye view. We believe the moon is out there. It exists and people actually walked on it. We've got eyewitness accounts. We have eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's even a guy named Josephus. If you look up Josephus, he's not a Christian, was not a Christian. He was the greatest historian of Jewish antiquities. He was born in 37 AD. He died in 100 AD. And he's got the best, and we've got it collected, the best recorded history of the Jewish world in the first century. And Josephus was not a Christian, but here's what Josephus said about Jesus Christ, that his followers believed in the resurrection. And when looking at evidence, there really was no other explanation. He had risen from the dead and the people didn't recant. They didn't turn over their testimony. They continued to confess, they continued to believe, though the Jewish leaders pressed them not to and even took their lives. Now, isn't it amazing that someone would say, I believe the resurrection, but he didn't call Jesus Lord? It is amazing. But frankly, it's not all that strange. Many of you confess that Jesus is Christ, but you don't live like he rose from the dead. You see, there's an empty tomb and there's eyewitness testimony that would tell you to live like Jesus is Lord. A couple of other evidences in these are are really amazing to me one is the expansion of christianity it's the expansion of christianity how christianity spread through time and through cultures see when this movement starts when jesus dies and raises from the dead there's about 500 people following him in all the roman empire about 500 And over the next 70 years, this movement's going to grow through cities and regions and areas throughout the known world so that one out of every 365 people in the world will confess Jesus as Lord. And it's going to grow century after century so that 2,000 years later, one out of every seven people confesses that Jesus is. Is Lord. You might hear of the resurrection and think, well, no, that's only for really kind of freaky, strange people. Nobody actually believes that. But actually, one out of every seven people on the planet believes it. Some of the brightest minds in science, in mathematics, in the humanities and arts confess, I believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And they believe it because God has stirred their hearts and they've seen the evidence and they understand the expansion of Christianity can really only be explained through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's not just the expansion of Christianity, it's the endurance of the church, See, the church really should have never survived out of the 30s A.D., right? You got 500 people in the Roman Empire unarmed, and you've got the Roman government with all of its forces, a legion of troops could have shut this thing down. But the church endured. Surely, by the end of the first century, the movement should have been squelched and quieted, but the church endured. Endured. All kinds of empires, all kinds of rulers, all kinds of evils have tried to shut it down today in China, in Myanmar, and North Korea, and many other places. Rulers attempt to stop this movement, but they can't. The church endures. We've got a, a video that's really quick that just shows what that looked like and what that looks like. And as the video plays, you'll see the expansion of Christianity in white and how Christianity expands and how the church has endured as a testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Let's watch it together. See, the church has endured. It's endured evil rulers. It's endured the spiritual forces of evil that would squelch it. It's endured all kinds of movements. And the church, when she's been at her worst, and the church, when she's been at her best, continues to endure. Now, some will say, well, of course, there are all these people that believe religion's just like a crutch for all these people. And what I, what I would say to you is if, if religion is a crutch, then the whole world is limping, right? I, I know what it means to, to need a crutch. When this ice storm hit, I did something really foolish. Most of you know I walked on ice when my wife told me not to. And so my PCL is torn. And some people would say, well, why don't you have a crutch today? And I would say it's because I'm strong as an ox. My wife would say it's because I'm almost as smart as one, right? Right? But to people who would say religion is a crutch, I, I would just simply say, that's, that's right and the whole world is limping. And well, what, What's your crutch? What's your crutch? Is it your work? Is it your status? Is it your name? Is it your reputation? Is it the house you live in? Is it alcohol? Is it opiates? Is it something else? See, I find in the the resurrection of Jesus Christ something that holds me up and gives me a firm place to stand. And though the hammers of world philosophies come against it, it's like an anvil that breaks all those hammers. It's just a solid foundation. It's a solid rock because Jesus did raise from the dead. So what do we do with this? Well, four words from the resurrected Christ. See, those 11 disciples, they believed the women's testimony. They didn't doubt them or question them. That would have been revolutionary in their day. And so they went to Galilee and they waited. And it says that they worshiped him, but some doubted. They were wondering. And then the risen Christ appeared to them. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What do we do with the resurrected Christ? Well, he gives us four words that help us to know what to do. And the, the first one is this, all authority. All authority, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is risen from the dead the one thing nobody can do. He conquered the greatest enemy that we have. And he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that means that he rules over kingdoms, he rules over history, but it also means that Jesus Christ wants to rule over your life and mine as rightful Lord and King. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And it doesn't matter if you've never confessed Christ, if this is the first time you've heard the story, or even if you would say, Jesus is my Lord, if he doesn't have all authority in your life, if he's not the one sitting on the throne when it comes to your heart, then he's not in the rightful place because he's Lord. So if he's not Lord of you, God would direct you, he would call you, he would move you to call Jesus your Lord today. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And next he says, go make disciples of all nations. So he says, all authority and then all nations. As one who's risen from the dead, he's not just another religious leader. He says, I'm Lord over all. Make disciples of all nations because all the idols people worship, all the gods of the nations, that's what they are. They're false gods. They're idols. They have hands, but they can't act. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They are powerless to give comfort and hope all authority and all nations because he's Lord. And then he says, all I've commanded, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, I think this is important when we think about did Jesus raise from the dead or did he not? Is he Lord or is he some kind of crazy man or was he just lying when he commanded us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us? when he commanded us to bless those who persecute us, when he commanded us to walk the extra mile, when he commanded us to love like he loved and lay our lives down for others, when he commanded us to treat others the way we want to be treated, was, was he just being crazy? Was he just being a liar? Or did he rise from the dead? Is he Lord? And the last word I think is the best, and that's the word always. He says, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. My wife and I are doing premarital counseling for young couples. One of the things that we tell them is, is that one of our mottos for marriage is that there's no way out. Now, if you know me, you might go, that's great news for you, Chase. That's bad news for Laura. There's no way out. And Jesus has married himself to his people. He says, there's no way out. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And there is coming an end of the age when because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will rise also. He describes it this way, in the twinkling of an eye, in just a moment, our perishable bodies will become imperishable. Our mortal bodies will become imperishable. Immortal. And he says when that happens, then the saying is going to come true. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And man, death stings right now. But this saying is going to come true, and he says, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. See, the reason the reason the sting of death is sin is because death entered the world because of sin. One of my favorite verses is, is Romans six twenty three. It's got two halves. I'll tell you the first half and the second half. The second half of Romans 6.23 is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. The first half says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. You understand what that means. A wage is something you earn. And so because we've all sinned, we deserve death. It's really simple. If I work at McDonald's and I make five bucks an hour and I work for five hours, that's $25. You put in the taxes, I can take home $7 from that, right? That's what you earn. A wage is something you earn. And because God is holy, he's perfect. He's never done, said, or thought anything wrong. He's good and what he does is good. God has to punish sin. It's rebellion against him and we've all missed the mark. And the wages of our sin, the scripture says, is death. We deserve death, the wages of sin, anything we think, say, do, or feel that doesn't honor God. It's death. We're all going to die until Jesus comes back. But it's not just physical death. It's spiritual death. It's separation from God because he's holy. He can't look on sin. So what we've earned with our sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the verse doesn't end there. See, after that word death, there's the most beautiful comma in all the world. And it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My, my grandmother, her name was T. She was called T because she didn't want to consider herself old. She was just beautiful. T really didn't get wrinkles until she was 80. And if she were alive today, she'd say, stop telling people I had wrinkles at 80. T loved Christmas. I mean, she loved it. And what I'm going to tell you will let you see how spoiled I was as a child. And T had in her house a little formal living room. And around Christmas, she would kind of crack the door where you could see it. Then she'd close it and there'd be just a few gifts in there. And as the weeks went by, you'd look and there'd be more and more gifts and more and more gifts. And you think there's no more room. And then Christmas morning, you would open up this room and literally it was like you almost couldn't walk and we would open presents after presents after presents and you'd think that you're done, way too many gifts that any kid should ever get and then there would be some last big reveal that probably drove my parents nuts, but I loved it. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's like this gift you just couldn't imagine. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. Life that never ends, that's never separated from God. When we go to be with him, we will live with him forever in ever-increasing joy, though we deserve death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there are a couple of things to do with that on this Easter Sunday. One is if you know that gift, Christian, if you understand that gift, if you've received that gift, because we've been given victory through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, because Jesus rose from the dead, because we will rise with him, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing... That in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, your 2020 Christian was not in vain. The gospel that you speak, the love that you give is not in vain in Christ. So keep living and keep proclaiming. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in this work. But, But what if you're not a Christian? What do you do with Jesus? That's the question that life is all about. And it really, really matters. It matters to me for lots of reasons, but when I when I leave this place, I'm going to have lunch with a 90-year-old man who doesn't understand that Jesus rose from the dead. And I desperately want him to know, and I want you to know. Because there's victory over death for all who believe. So. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to take a moment to pray with me, if you'd bow your heads and consider. Christian, maybe your your prayer would be, God, would you make me steadfast, immovable, always abounding? Would you make me about your work? Would I live like Jesus rose from the dead? If you're here and you came with family or you've come a lot or you come all the time or this is your first time here and you... You recognize I've, I've never really understood and embraced that Jesus died for my sins, that He took the wages I deserved. And He rose from the dead to give me new life. Maybe right now in this moment, you would just, you would just ask Him, Jesus, would you forgive my sin? You just ask Him, would you be my Lord? Would you save me? I believe you rose from the dead and that changes everything. You're praying that today. I'd love to talk to you. If someone invited you here, I know they would love to talk to you about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus and how that begins through the prayer. You just prayed, confessing him. God, I pray for us as a church. Lord, that we would be those sort of people who because of the risen Christ and because of the resurrection that's coming, we would be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in your work, knowing that it's never in vain, that it's a purpose that you accomplish through us. And God, I pray for people who are wondering, who are wrestling, who are considering Jesus in this moment. Would you open their hearts to believe? Would you stir their affections for Christ? And would you give them Life in his name that can never be taken away. Forgiveness and freedom from sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.